Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the way Jesus taught us to pray. It's the way we should be acknowledging and submitting to God's will for, his, for our lives, his plan, his purpose. And that's what, that's what Jesus did in the garden so many years ago, just before he died. He knew what the plan was. He knew why his father had sent him. He knew that going to the cross was going to be the way that God was going to be most glorified and maximum good would be brought to people who trust in Christ. So he, so he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. On the edge of stepping into the most excruciating experience, Jesus confesses this, this human desire within him to avoid pain. He wasn't insane. No one in their right mind would enjoy the anticipation of such misery that was going to be Christ's. And yet, he submits to the plan and the procedure laid out by God the Father. But what if he hadn't? What if he tried to accomplish God's purposes a different way? I mean, he was God in the flesh, right? He could do whatever he wants. What if he reconsidered that offer that Satan had put before him in the wilderness to bow down and then the kingdoms of the world would be handed over to him. You know, the temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness, it was to bring about God's kingdom. But to bring it about in a way other than the way that God had prescribed. Rather than declare, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, Jesus would have had to say, thy kingdom come, my will be done. And that decision would have been disastrous, wouldn't it? Oh, we, we still would have been Christ's, but Christ would have been the servant of Satan. The desire to edit and adjust God's will for the sake of achieving his, his purposes, his kingdom, that desire, I think, is one that, that many of us experience at one time or another. It's what happened in paradise the paradise that God had created back at the very beginning, Adam and Eve were tempted to experience maximum pleasure, maximum life, the best life possible, but by stepping out of God's prescribed way of living. And they'd have to do things on their own, do things the way they saw fit. It was a lie that they bought into. It was a lie that led them to believe that the best way to achieve the results that God had actually promised them, the best way to achieve that was to follow their own way. And the results were disastrous. Instead of achieving that ultra-perfect life that they thought they were going to get, what did they get? They got pain. They got misery. They got hardship. They got death, the Bible says. Oh, God would, God would make sure that his plan came about, but the consequences of their decision, that'd be un, unescapable. 
And that's exactly what we see happen in our passage this morning. In Genesis, we're looking at the end of Genesis 26 all the way into the beginning of Genesis 28 this morning. We see people trying to achieve God's goodness in their own way. And we're going to realize that my will be done is a big mistake. Something wasn't right in Isaac's family. We learned that a couple weeks ago that God was with Isaac. Remember that? God said he was going to be with him. And then we found out in the passage, God was with him. And then God promised to be with him in the future. Every moment of Isaac's life was lived coram Deo. It was lived before the face of God. And yet the way he lived his life and the way his family lived his life seems to indicate that that reality was not having the impact that it should have on his life. In Genesis 26, 34, we read this. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife. And Basimoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now, this was a family that knew that they were descendants of Abraham. They were children of the promise. Through them and their descendants, God was going to bring about his amazing plan to bless the nations of the world. Remember back when Abraham was seeking to find a wife for Isaac? He knew that it was critical that that wife not come from the godless people of the land, the Canaanites of the land. And so he tasks his servant to go to his own people, travel to his own people, and find this wife. And then we saw how God just miraculously worked. That servant trusted God, and as he trusted God and prayed to God, God just handed him Rebekah. It was incredible. And Isaac knew all about that. That was no mystery. He knew that God had been working in his family and that God promised that he was going to keep working in the days ahead. He knew all about even the importance of, of his descendants. Very important. God's going to work through them. He's going to use them. He's going to bless everyone through them. But then in here in verse 34 and 35, we saw that his son Esau... Well, Esau just goes and marries two Canaanite women. Not just one, he marries two. What happened here? Isaac, did, uh, did you fail as a father in some way? Or maybe at least, maybe you failed to pass down the message. Did you not tell the stories of how God had called your father Abraham and how God miraculously brought Rebekah, your wife, and, and, and Abraham's, Abraham saying, don't, don't mix with the people of this land. Did you not pass that on? We saw several weeks ago when my brother Abel was here preaching, he preached about Esau, and we saw that Esau was a man who was controlled by his appetites. Controlled by his appetites. When he was hungry, nothing else mattered. I have to have food right now. So he sold his birthright to his younger brother. Here in verse 34, we see him again, apparently yielding to his appetites as he completely ignores his family's significance and their relationship to God, 
and he goes and marries Canaanite women. Clearly, this was his will and not God's will. Kind of like that old Frank Sinatra song, he was doing it his way. And he made life bitter for his parents. But you know, it wasn't just Esau that seemed to disregard God's will. His father had gone down the same path. Chapter 27, verse 1 says this, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So in his old age, Isaac somehow became some sort of a foodie. <laughs> food really mattered to him. They call it a guilty pleasure, don't they? When your, your indulgence in some type of activity, it, it's beyond what is the norm. And so your desire for that thing, it begins to cloud your thinking and make you, uh, leads you to make illogical sacrifices to have that thing, even if you know that thing might be bad for you. Isaac had a taste for savory meat. He lived for the sizzle. And because of that, he loved his oldest son. His oldest son had this hunting prowess. He would go find the tasty meat that was out there roaming the countryside, and he'd bring it back to dad, and he'd say, Dad, I have something for you. And dad would go, oh, yes, I'm ready. Give me my bib. <laughs> there was nothing more satisfying than when his boy would bring home a juicy piece of meat to enjoy. And so being old, being all but blind, maybe feeling somewhat entitled in his old age, he calls to Esau and asks him to go fetch this meal. This might be my last meal. I don't know when I'm going to die. Esau, go get it for me. That was Isaac's will. And it was, a, it was a, a will, it was a desire that he felt so strongly that he promises his son that he will bless him that he will bless him with his soul for it. Now, that's really important. You've heard people claim to do things with all their heart. Valentine's Day is coming. Some of you might uh, take that special pen and that special card and write, I love you with all my heart. But here in, in verse 4, Isaac goes well beyond that. He doesn't just say, I will bless you with all of my heart. He says, I will bless you with my soul. In other words, this blessing is going to come from the, the deepest, most sacred, most inner part of him. Every fiber of his being desired to bless Esau. And you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal about that? The wonderful thing. What a good father. He has this close relationship with his oldest son, Isaac, or oldest son, Esau. The big deal is this. Isaac knows that Esau is not the one who should be getting the blessing. He knows it. Even though Esau is his firstborn, he knows full well that God's desire was for Jacob to be the one who was blessed. When Rebecca was pregnant, 
there was a battle going on. There was a war happening. There was a lot of thumping. There was a lot of bumping going on the inside of her. Now, siblings often struggle, don't they? they when they're young, they, they duke it out. I certainly had my moments with my, my siblings. But this struggle was going on before they were born. Twins inside of her, and there was an epic battle going on in there. And it was so bad that mom turns to God and says, God, why is this happening to me? And in Genesis 25, 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. You see, mom and dad had both been given a special window into God's will for their children. There'd be no confusion as to whose line God would use to bring about the promised one. The promise would follow down through the younger. It would follow through Jacob. He was the one who should have received the blessing. And Isaac knew that all too well. But it didn't matter. His love for Esau and the delicious food he kept setting before him, that swayed his heart. And that's what Genesis 5.28 tells us. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And so Isaac was willing to ignore God's word, to disregard the desires of his wife, even willing to turn a blind eye to the transaction that had taken place between Esau and Jacob and the selling of the birthright, to bless the son of his choice. I have no doubt that Isaac believed in the promise. God himself had audibly passed the blessing of his father Abraham onto him in Genesis 26, 24. I'm sure he believed that God was going to bless the nations with his descendants, but rather than heed God's word about Jacob, he decided that he was going to make sure that God's promise would come about through the son that he loved most. Have your personal cravings, your desires, your preferences ever tempted to do have ever tempted you in a, to do things in a way other than the way that you knew God wanted? Of course they have. And that's the fundamental problem with all of the descendants of Adam and Eve. We'll we'll trade God's will to follow our own hearts, won't we? To yield to the the beat of what we believe is true love. Maybe to get a better grade on our homework. Maybe to get ahead in business. To keep other people from walking all over us. Maybe to be entertained. We're willing to make compromises. Maybe to minimize income tax payments. Maybe to get people to behave the way we want them to behave or just, just to get out of trouble. And we could go on and on and on. Your kingdom come, my will be done. That's essentially what Isaac is saying here. And it's what we say every time we choose to do our things or do God's things in our own way. And that's what was going on with Esau. That's what was going on with Isaac. But you know what? It wasn't just the two of them. It infected the whole family. It was a family affair, just like Sarah Remember back when Sarah overheard Abraham talking with the two angels outside the tent? Yeah, you're going to have a baby. And she just laughed. 
Just like that, Rebecca overheard Esau's conversation with his dad. She heard about the plan, and she doesn't like what she hears. Not only was her aged husband favoring his favorite rather than her own, she knew he was clearly disregarding what God said. And there's probably a sense of righteous anger just welling up inside of her. Maybe she was thinking, justice must be done. I can't let this happen and God's will be thwarted. I can't just sit back and let this decrepit old man ruin God's great plan just because he can't control his appetite. And so she grabs her favorite son, Jacob, and she lets him in on the plan. Go to the flock. Bring me two good young goats, dad likes to eat, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. So Rebecca's plan, it was for Jacob to impersonate his older brother and get the blessing that should have been his. Now, Jacob, he seems hesitant at first, but we need to be careful not to think that his objections had anything to do with his conscience. It wasn't that he thought that mom's plan was some type of violation of God's moral will. No, all he was concerned about was his own skin. Literally, literally, his skin was silky smooth. His brother, on the other hand, was a hairy beast. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Jacob wasn't sure they could pull the scheme off. There's some holes in your plan, Mom, and this isn't going to work. And if it doesn't go off the way she thinks it's going to go off, well, then maybe I'm going to end up getting cursed instead of getting blessed, and that wouldn't be a good thing. And that's when Mom says, don't worry, my love. I've got it all worked out. I'll take care of you. In fact, if you do get a curse, I'll take that for you. But I don't think that's going to happen. Look at verse 14. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, the goats. And mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the garments of Esau, the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Now, this is just the best, isn't it? Can you picture this? Don't you just wish you were a fly on a camel's back and were able to see what was going on here? See this all play out? It must have looked ridiculous. Jacob must have felt so foolish. I hope no one sees me in this. I'm glad dad can't. But what was even more ridiculous, even more foolish, was that Rebecca believed that God needed her help to accomplish his plan. <laughs> I have no doubt whatsoever that she thought she was doing the Lord's work here. The end justifies the means. So we've got to lie a little. So we've got to deceive the old man. If he would have just listened to God rather than his stomach, we wouldn't be in this mess. 
when you think about it, it's really all his fault. You, you see, you know, maybe God will understand why I'm doing this, and you know, maybe I'll even get a medal for it someday. <laughs> Saved God's great plan, special place in heaven, here we come. Have you ever been tempted to think that way? That resorting to methods you know God does not approve of, that's okay as long as you're helping God accomplish his will. And so very often, it's often accomplishing his will for someone else in their life. Maybe you've been tempted to think that letting your temper flare and your tongue lash at a, a brother, a sister, a parent, maybe a neighbor, or even a fellow church member, thinking, after all, somebody needs to set them straight. I'm doing God a favor by putting them in their place. Or maybe you've been, like we said earlier, maybe you've been tempted to fudge numbers on your tax return thinking that, well, if I save money here, I can actually give more money to others in need. Or maybe you've been tempted to threaten or manipulate or deceive your children to get them to behave in a more proper, more Christ-like way. Or what about this? Maybe you've neglected to confront. Maybe you've neglected to have a hard conversation or make a painful decision because you didn't want to upset the apple cart and run the risk of hurting someone else's feelings. And rather than participate in the difficult aspect of discipleship, that iron sharpening iron, or prevent somebody from, from maybe harming themselves or harming others, you decide to take the path of least resistance. It's a whole lot more appealing. It's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot safer I'll, I'll just, God will, God will take care of them. So easy to go about seeking God's kingdom our way rather than his way, is it not? William Griffith Thomas in his commentary on Genesis wrote, Righteousness can never be laid aside, even though our object is yet more righteousness. In personal life, in home life, in church life, in endeavors to win men for Christ, in missionary enterprise and social improvement, and in everything connected with the welfare of humanity, we must insist upon absolute righteousness, purity, and truth in our message, or else we shall bring utter discredit on the cause of our Master and Lord. Rebecca wanted God's kingdom to come. Yes, that's absolutely what she wanted. But instead of tr trusting God to get it done, she took matters into her own hands and tried to make it happen her way. Her will be done. But you know, it wasn't just Esau, and it wasn't just Isaac, and it wasn't just Rebecca that were infected with this my will be done attitude. Jacob didn't go kicking and screaming into this. Mom's plan initially seemed a bit shaky, but after she alleviated his concerns, well, he was all in. Look at verse 18. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near. 
that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. God may have desired for Jacob to be the one who was blessed, but not in this way. This was not God's way. The disguise was clever, but it wasn't clever enough. As dull as his senses may have been, Isaac could still tell that something funny was going on here. In response to his father's suspicions, Jacob lies three times. Dad asks, who are you, my son? Something didn't quite sound right. That's when Jacob, probably clearing his throat, said, I am Esau, your firstborn. Dad asks, how did you get the food so quickly? Not that he was complaining or anything, but he knew that hunting, cleaning, and cooking, well, that took time. Fresh food isn't fast food, right? We've heard that message before. Jacob says, God help me. (laughs) Wow. Not only are you lying, but now you're bringing God into this? That's blasphemy. This is not good. Does this guy's depravity know no bounds? Finally, after feeling the goat hair on his skin, dad asks, are you really my son Esau? And he says, yes. For crying out loud, yes. Let's move on. I want the blessing. I wonder if a rooster crowed after that third lie. (laughs) This was bad. Jacob wanted the blessing bad, and so he dishonored himself, he dishonored his father, he dishonored his Lord by doing what God absolutely detests. We know that from Proverbs 6. He lied. Have you ever been tempted to do the same? For the sake of your own skin, for the sake of the feelings of others, maybe for the sake of time, for the sake of the greater good. You massage the truth. You twist it just a little bit, just a tiny little bit. Or maybe you just flat out lied. It's tempting. We can't do it. We cannot and must not do it. If our goal is to glorify God and bring good to others, then we cannot do it. We need to refuse the lie that tells us lies will protect Lives will bring about good. Lies will get us to where God actually wants us to go. We have to refuse that. Despite the shakiness of Jacob's delivery, Isaac agrees to give him the blessing. And then he stuffed his face. Actually, he stuffed his face before the blessing. The food's there? Okay, give me the food. I want to eat the food. And he eats the food. It couldn't have been a pretty picture. One commentator describes it this way. The old gourmand commenced eating, smacking his lips, guzzling vintage wine, and drizzling over his immense white beard. Get that mental picture out of your head. (laughs) 
I won't get into, go into details about the blessing. The things that Isaac says, they're clearly connected to God's original promise to Abraham. He was essentially taking matters into his own hands. And contrary to God's oracle about Jacob, he declares that Esau will be the man. He will be God's man. In verse 29, he says, let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. That's 2729. This is not good. Remember what God said of Jacob? The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. It's as if Isaac is saying, yeah, God said that. I'm saying it applies to you, the older one. Not good. And yet, even though Isaac thought he was blessing Esau, he's actually blessing Jacob. Despite a few close calls, Rebekah's plan actually works. God's program was saved. And the good old dad, well, he's none the wiser. That is, until Esau shows up with dinner. Verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it, ate it all before you came. And I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. This violent trembling that we read about in verse 33, that's Isaac realizing that his best attempts at seeing God's kingdom plan come about according to his own selfish will, those efforts were no good. God was in control. There's no getting around what God has said will be. God says in Isaiah 46, 8, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you trans transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have purposed, and I will do it. God's plans, they cannot be thwarted. He will get his way. He will accomplish his purposes. In a moment of violent trembling, Isaac came to realize that, and that's why he declares his defeat to Esau. Did you see it? He asked the question, who is it that hunted the game, brought it to me, and ate it all before you came, and I blessed him? And then he says, yes, and he shall be blessed. He acknowledges, yeah, God's going to bless who he desires to bless. There's no getting around it. Isaac's attempts had failed. Esau cries out. His cries are, are palpable. No. 
that's not true. That's impossible. Genesis 27, 34, as soon as Esau heard the words of his fathers, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. My heart goes out to him as I hear this. He said to his father, bless me, even me also, my father. It's tragic. And the only blessing that his father could give him was the blessing that was in line with God's original plan. He would serve his younger brother. Not only that, his life would be full of struggle. You call that a blessing? This is no fairy tale. This is real life. This is what happens when we choose our will over God's will. My will be done is a big mistake. My will be done. It led to self-indulgence. It led to jealousy. It led to lying, manipulation. It led to hatred. That's what Esau declares of his younger brother in verse 41. He says, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Dad's going to die soon. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so Rebekah takes her favorite son, her, her beloved son, and she sends him away to Laban. As far as we know, she never sees him again. He'll be there 20 years. Family ripped apart. Loved ones ripped apart. In the first few verses of chapter 28, we read, we read that Isaac t told Jacob not to make the same mistake his brother Esau made. Remember at the very beginning, the end of, verse, of chapter 26, Esau took two Canaanite wives. He says, when you take a wife, Jacob, you need to take from the family Go to Laban, take one of his daughters. Then we read in 28, 8 and 9, probably in some strange attempt to regain his father's favor, Esau, he goes to Ishmael's family and he takes another wife to make up for the Canaanite wives that had caused so much strife in the family. This is a mess. Comes first full circle here. Began with Esau taking wives, it ends with Esau taking a wife. It's sad. It's sad all the way around, sad through and through. My will be done is a big mistake, and we see that all over this account of this family. And the only consolation that we have here is that God works in spite of our foolishness, in spite of our failings. He's faithful to accomplish His purposes even when we are unfaithful. That's what the New Testament says. He is faithful. And we can take great comfort in that. I take great comfort in that because my life is riddled, probably not unlike your own, riddled with failings. And yet God is faithful. And so we can continue to look to Him. We can continue to trust Him. We can strive to obey Him. May the cry of our hearts be, not my will be done, but yours, O Lord. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let's pray.